And we talked about Peter, who uh, was a fisherman. He went fishing for men. He was fishing for fish, and all of a sudden now he's fishing for men. And we talked about last week about these four friends who went great lengths to bring their friend to Jesus. And so you got this great big spectrum of, of the way people react when they hear the gospel message. You have this side, which is the total wrong side to be on, where people are, don't appreciate the message and they don't want to hear it. They say, thank you, but no thank you. Or as Dan told me when, he, when I was out with him on Friday, that people just turned and walked away from him when he's sharing the gospel. Then you have this, this position in the middle. Uh, when I picture Peter with this, because Peter, he's the guy, he left everything to follow Jesus. But he's just, he's following Jesus. And he's doing exactly what he's supposed to. But there's a lot of people... I hear the message of salvation, and I'm going to accept it. And I, I'm, my life doesn't need to tr- change drastically, but I need to change some things, and I'm just going to be pretty quiet and content being a good Christian. And then you have this, ex- the, this total opposite of the person who says no. You have the person that is the most exciting Christian in the world. It's the person who, once they hear about Jesus, they're on fire, and they've got to tell everybody, and they don't matter. it doesn't matter to them who, care, who hears or what people think. And that's the kind of person, when uh, Jesus calls Matthew, or Levi, I guess his name is Levi, it's, kind of, it's both, so you're going to hear both come out of my mouth. When he tells Levi to follow him, Levi is this guy who's, who makes this immediate drastic change. He doesn't say, okay, I'll just follow you, and then keep his mouth quiet. He does something completely different, and he reaches out to everybody else around him to share the gospel message with him. But we're going to find this passage in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 39. So Jesus invites or requests Matthew, Levi, to follow him, and we find Levi's response. So Luke chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at a tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up and left everything and followed him. So last week when we saw Jesus has just healed this guy, the, the paralytic who was dropped through the roof right in front of Jesus, Jesus healed this guy. And after he, this, this guy gets up because he's healed, I think he goes bolting through the door. He's laughing and he's excited and everybody else is leaving the house thinking, what have we just seen? Well, while everybody's running down the road, people are, they, they look out there and they see that there is a tax booth. And they know exactly what that means. They mean, if if I go by this guy, or at some point, I'm going to have to pay taxes. Now, April 15th is coming up, right? I don't know who here has paid their taxes, who's going to wait until the very last second to stick it in the mailbox to pay their taxes. But when we, we think of tax collectors, and I know one back in Davenport, I think, you know, she's doing her job. Her name's Dawn. She's really sweet. You guys would love her. Uh, and she's, she works for the IRS. <clears throat> but I don't, I don't avoid her. I don't like, dislike her. I just think, you know, because we know when we pay our taxes, we don't want to pay them, but we know it goes to pay to fix the roads and to, to fund the government positions that are making laws and supposedly, you know, ruling over us. And so we look and say, we understand that. But with Levi, when he's a tax collector, it's a different story. Levi is a guy who works for the Roman government. The Jewish people don't like the, the Roman government ruling over them, so immediately anybody who works for them, they don't like. It just starts off, you just pick the wrong profession. But it gets worse than that because uh, you had to pay taxes. 
back then, just like you do now, but there were, there were specific taxes that you had to pay. And there's something that you knew every time you pay taxes, it was going to be the same amount. Like you're, they had, you had to pay income tax, you had to pay uh, ground tax, which would be like off of your crops or your, the wine that you grew or the, the olive oil that you made. But there's also the poll tax. Nobody here would like that tax. That was one just for being alive. If you were, if you were 14 to age 65, you were popping some kind of coin or, or some kind of currency to the tax collector. And if you were 14 and you were a boy, you had to pay that. And if you were 12 and you were a girl, you got to start a little bit sooner paying just for being alive. But they expected it because that was something you did every, it was the same amount each time. But there was also other taxes that were not set amounts. And this is where the tax collectors could really make a bundle. Uh, it w- they, would, they would tax, as long as the Roman government got what they wanted, the tax collector was free to try to get anything else out of people that he could. And generally, he could just stuff his pockets with all this extra cash. And uh, there was, there's a couple of different ways to do this. There was, if you use the main roads, if you use the harbors, if you use the markets, guess what? They could come up and tax you for doing that. If you had a cart, you better get a small cart because you could get taxed off of each wheel that your cart had. None of these uh, 12-wheel or 16-wheel carts like you get on the semis because there's too many taxes. But even the animal that was pulling your, t- your cart could get taxed. And, oh, you, even if you went, I'm going all by myself and I got this bag in my back pocket over my shoulder, the tax collector could stop you and say, hey, buddy, empty out what you have and I want a percent of this, and he could take it. And so this guy, he, A, is, a, is very poorly thought of by a lot of people, and Jesus says, I want you to give it all up and follow me. And so he's, this is not a small request of just some guy who's got this job to, to follow Jesus. This is a guy who's giving up his financial security. He's giving up his life of ease. He's giving up his self-sufficiency. He has it all. And Jesus is asking him to leave it all and follow him. Levi's supposed to give up everything and follow Jesus. Guess what? We're supposed to give up everything and follow Jesus as well. And we've already discussed that kind of thing. Peter did that. But we already know that God asked more people to stay home and be hometown missionaries than he asked people to go to the foreign mission field. He needs them there, but he needs more people here to reach the people here. So, God might not be asking you to go to a foreign mission field. God might be asking you to stay here in Plevna, and you might be doing exactly what God wants you to do. He wants you to be in the school, connecting with the people, and inviting people to to church. He might be asking you to work in the oil field, because you can tell people about Jesus there. And you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. But this is more, following Jesus is more than just, hey, I'm getting saved. It's more than just saying, I'm going to follow this ministry or this calling that God has put in my life, following Jesus is an all-day, everyday thing. It's, it's the idea of giving up everything in my life that's more important than Jesus. It might be giving up a hobby, like woodworking or crafting or writing. I don't really do those things, but I know people like those things. Sports, basketball, football, soccer, I like those things. It might be giving up TV series, or other forms of entertainment. Now, are any of those things wrong? No. Those are a great tool in order to reach people. And I, and I, I know last week I talked about camp, how they, 
They come up with, they invent ways. They go out to great lengths to, to invite people to, to want to connect with people so that they want to hear the message of salvation. But when those things become more important to us than God, that's where the issue starts to come up. And it happens all over the world, all over the time. I mean, because you could picture, man, this is just a preacher talking to the people saying, you guys got to choose God over what, over the things that you want to do. But you know what? I got to do the same thing. Just because I'm up here does not mean that I don't struggle with, hey, I, I would rather just go home and zone out and just watch TV all day, and I never spent time with God and his word. Even missionaries. I have known missionaries who struggle with it. They're the ones that get paid to go to the foreign mission field and tell people about Jesus, and they struggle with this too because they don't want to just all day knock on doors and all day do things for other people. And it's, it's just part of being the human nature is, is struggling with letting other things become more important than Jesus. And so all of a sudden, this idea of following Jesus, boy, that's, that's a lot bigger thing. Levi was giving up a ton and we, we, we're asked to do something, too. We, we're asked to give up a lot to follow Jesus. We're, it's Jesus' path for us. He's in control. He's in charge. And all of a sudden, it's not me anymore. And I don't know how much I like that. And Levi, he does the best thing. He's, Levi is the guy at this end of the spectrum. Because what he does next is go and invite all his tax collecting buddies and all the other sinners and everybody else who's willing to come hear about Jesus that's what he does, and he has this banquet for Jesus. It says in verse 29, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Levi just got saved. He does not know anything. He didn't, the very first thing, I mean, because you know the, the best people who make missionaries? Sometimes it's the guy who, who grew up in a Christian school. He goes to Bible school. He has all the knowledge to answer every answer in the world. But a lot of times, it's that person who just got saved, who does not know anything except for, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and I'm going to go out and tell people. Matthew, he doesn't know anything. He didn't go to Bible school. He didn't even get up and preach. He, all he did, did was say, hey, Jesus is here. I want you to get here. And I know, I know uh, getting up and, and just walking up to someone and sharing the gospel with them is scary. And there, there's a... There's a Example I have in my own life, when Leslie and I first got married, we lived in this apartment, and there was this lady next to us that was 70 years old. And that, that the neighborhood she lived in just happened to be the one that the Moody students went to to try to tell people about Jesus. Because I told you guys, when, when I went to Bible school, in order to get my degree, you had to do personal evangelism. So part of your grade was you had to knock on people's doors and tell them about Jesus. Well, she just lived in the wrong house. Because everybody went there. And so she told us pretty much right off the bat, don't do that. Don't, I, don't, I don't know what you guys think about this, but I don't like it when people do that. And so I was like, well, gee, I can't tell her anything. So get, all we could think to do was Christmas time is coming. We're going to bring her to Jesus. We're going to bring her to church where she could hear the gospel. And guess what? She heard the gospel. She didn't get saved at that point. Later on, we finally had the guts had the chance to tell her about the Lord, and as far as I know, nothing ever came of it. So I know it's hard. You don't have to have all the answers. Get them someplace. Last week, we talked about going great lengths. We talked about the concerts, uh, even though things that you don't like because it's going to pr- produce an opportunity. So have you invited somebody to church? I don't know what to tell them, but I, well, I'm going to try to get them here. Or invited them to Awana. We got kids 
Have you invited people to a one or to the Thursday night Bible study? That's, what, that's all Levi did. He didn't get up and start preaching to the whole crowd. He just got people there so that they could hear about Jesus. So, we got to follow Jesus, and we got to invite other people to follow Jesus. Now we shift gears a little bit, because other people showed up. Levi just invited the Pharisees and the tax collectors and Jesus and his disciples, and things were supposed to be good. But there's, there's not-so-cool people that showed up. The, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law they get wind of what's going on, and they show up, and they start causing all sorts of problems. They don't like what Jesus is doing, and they don't like what, what Jesus, who he's hanging out with. They actually have two issues with Jesus. They have issues with what Jesus is doing, who he's hanging out with, because he's hanging out with all these sinners. And they have issues with what Jesus is not doing, because during this time, Jesus is eating, and he's not following their religious views of, we've got to be fasting right now. So the first thing is the fact that Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees were really good at avoiding tax collectors and sinners. They, they saw them, and they thought, these are the kind of people I don't want to be with. And they're, it's like they're thinking in their mind, Jesus, you're eating with people. Now, and I don't know how people feel in, in America about eating with other people, but in their culture, it's kind of an intimate thing. When you're eating with people, it kind of shows that I, I agree with you. I kind of support what you're doing because we're having a common meal together. And so the Pharisees are thinking Jesus is totally agreeing with, these Pharisees, or with the, the sinners and the tax collectors. And, they, and, they, and they're like, they don't want anything to do with this. And Jesus has a clever response because when they come talking to Jesus about why you do this, Jesus has a clever response. Verses 30 to 32. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's, I mean, obviously, uh, Nikki works at the, the hospital. She's a nurse, right? Guess who is not going to see me this week? I'm not going to the doctor's. Because I don't need a doctor. I mean, hopefully I will not need a doctor during the week. But if you guys are not sick, you don't go to the doctor. Jesus says, I didn't come to call the saved people. I mean, if Jesus was in here, I mean, if he can look at everybody's heart and say, yes, you're truly saved and I know you're saved, he's not going to get up here and preach the gospel to try to save you. Because that's not what you need. He's going to try to convince you to live for him. But he didn't come for the righteous people, the people who, to, to give them the gospel because they already have it. He came to heal the sick. And the Pharisees, or the teachers, of, or um, the, the tax collectors, they're the sick ones. They're the ones who need the healing, the, the spiritual healing. They need the salvation. So Jesus is coming to them. And I picture, I picture the way this would go down. You would have Matthew. He's sitting there with all his friends, and he's, they're all laughing. And laugh, uh, Matthew has his great weight lifted off his shoulders, because he's, he's no longer feeling the weight of the guilt of what he's done. Because for him to be a tax collector, he was lumped in with the murderers. He was lumped in with the thieves and the tax collectors. How would you like to be in that bunch? I mean, you, you didn't kill anybody. You're, you're stealing, but it was like a legal form of stealing. And you're, you're just looked down upon about everybody. And Jesus, the guy you thought would never come walking past your, your, your tax booth, the guy who would never say, follow me, and says, follow me. And he's, got, he's happy. He's got this great weight lifted off his shoulders. And so I, I picture Levi's just sitting there 
talking with his friends, and he's trying to convince them this is how it went about. This is what you need to do. And, they, and they're just they're, they're happy and excited, and then all of a sudden, the, 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 mob, the, uh, the depressed, the, the down, the, the mean-looking Pharisees come in. And they start coming in, and they stand somewhere in earshot. There's a great big table. They're standing there within earshot of Jesus and of Matthew, and, these, and they start hounding the disciples. Why do you eat with sinners and tax collectors? Why do you do that? And the disciples are like, uh, I just got here. I don't know. I mean, except for Jesus is doing it, and we're supposed to. Jesus stands up, and he says, I've not come to call the sinners. I've, I have come to call the sinners, not the righteous, to repentance. And then this idea of, they, they, it's like they're almost stumped. Okay, so you, you, uh, you came to reach these people. Well, how come now you're not following all the religious rules that we're supposed to follow? Now, there's something that uh, is in Matthew that's not in this part of the verse. When Jesus says, I've come to call the righteous, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. In Matthew, it also says, go and see what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And the disciples have heard this. They didn't just hear it in Matthew and experience it again. This, the, this was the one time they heard it for whatever reason. It's not recorded in Luke. But Jesus is saying, I, I desire mercy. You're supposed to be reaching these people, not looking down on them and thinking you're better than them, but trying to love them and be merciful to them. But they're so worried about being religious and following all these rules, it's like they don't even listen. They jump right into, hey, buddy, these guys should be fasting. They're all about the religious rules. They're all about what I can do, and they're all about I look good and everybody else looks bad. And Jesus says, someday, he says, you know what, guys? It's time for you to fast, possibly. And it's time for you to do all those things. But it's not time for these guys to do it yet. And these Pharisees are already trying to throw all the weight of all these rules on all these people that you've got to follow. And Jesus says, it's a time for celebration. We're not going to do that right now. And he goes on to explain, uh, there's a parable, which is a story told to teach a lesson. It's kind of like an object lesson. It's something you can look at. And every time you see it, you remember a, st- a lesson from it. And so Jesus, he, he talks about a garment that's got holes in it. And he's, he talks about this old, worn-out wineskin bag. And he starts to compare the Pharisees to that, even though they don't even realize it. In verses 36 to 39, he told them this parable, this story that's a picture story that's supposed to teach a lesson. He says, No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will, make, will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one after drinking the old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. Now, I don't sow, and I don't drink wine. So I, I, I don't understand this exactly the way a sower does, or someone who... who ferments wine, which I don't know if anybody here does, but uh, if, you, if you take a patch, even if it's your favorite shirt, how much sense does it take to take a brand new piece of cloth, rip out a big chunk, and sew it to your old shirt? What's going to happen? That, that new piece of cloth is going to shrink, and it's going to pull at everything that you just sewed it to, and it's going to rip, and it's going to make your original whole better. On that favorite shirt, you better just get an old piece of cloth and put it on. But a new one is not going to work. And the new the wineskin, back then, they used to use 
like a goat skin, and they'd sew it up really tight. Well, when you, when you put new wine in there, as it ages, as it ferments, it lets off gas. And so it expands. And so it can hold however big to, an ex- to a certain point of, of how, how much wine and how much fermentation goes on. But Jesus says, you guys are like that old shirt. You guys are like that old wineskin. You guys cannot accept my new teaching. You guys, they were so wrapped up in following the law. They were so wrapped up in being religious that they, didn't e- they couldn't even accept the teaching that Jesus was giving. They need to get rid of that old shirt. They need to just put the new one on. They need to get rid of this old wineskin, and they need to become like this new wineskin. And the, people, the very people that they're looking down on, the, fair, the, the tax collectors and sinners, they're just like that new wineskin. They're they're, they haven't tried their whole life to, to try to please God by following the rules, by, following, uh, by going to church, by uh, fasting, by praying, by all these things. All they have nothing. They're just to the point where I, I have nothing I can do. I'm going to listen to the gospel message, and I'm going to accept it. And I'm like this new wineskin that just accepts everything that Jesus is saying. Now, it might be easy to think of, okay, those Pharisees, they, they really were jerks. You know, they, were, they were really had the wrong idea because they were looking at what's going on, and they were not happy with it. They weren't happy with the fact that these lives were changing, and really they didn't know it, but their lives were changing for the best, and so they're looking down on these people. And we can, it's easy to say, boy, shame on them Pharisees. I can't believe they would ever do something like that. But this whole idea of being a Pharisee happens in America today. It happens in churches today. Uh, there was uh, a First Baptist Church that I went to in Spokane, Washington. And it was a great big church. And it was, you know, uh, Dr. David Jeremiah, we watched the Sunday school, and he's, he's, got, a, uh, he's got balconies, or, or he's got the floor, he's got the balconies. And this place, I don't know how many people it could hold. It may be like five or 600 people. But they had a room that was probably from that doorway over here. And it had about 20 to 30 people in it. My dad was a youth pastor at that church. And he would get a school bus. And he would go right around Spokane. And he picked up a bunch of kids. And he'd bring them to that church. Well, guess what? where those kids were not allowed? Those kids were not allowed in this one little spot. Because that's where we did church. These kids, I don't know if they're saved. I don't know if they're going to sit quiet. I don't know anything about them. I see, I had a bunch of people that I would compare to being Pharisees thinking, we don't want those people with us. And I don't even know why, because I was a little kid. And I, I talked to my dad about it, but it was like, those people are not allowed in here. So my dad and my mom, they did children's church up in the up, upstairs classrooms. And they, they did Sunday school, and they, they ministered to these kids. Well, guess what happened to that church? Guess who, how many people are in it now? It's not, it's not uh, white Americans in it anymore. It's a Russian, I think a Russian Baptist church, and it's loaded with people. I mean, that whole big sanctuary is filled. I mean, they would fill this, and then they would fill this great big sanctuary full of people because they were not being Pharisees about it. They were reaching people, and they said, if you want to come to Jesus and you want to come to this church, walk through those doors and sit down. But this church in Spokane didn't do that. They were all Pharisees. Pharisaic, for lack of a better word, and so they would not allow that. And there's, there's churches today that say, we, it has to be the old way. It's only King James or nothing. We have to sing 
only hymns. And we applied to a church in Oregon that was like that. It was just hymns. And it's like, God, if you open that door, we're going to go through it. I, I don't, I mean, I love hymns. Even if I'm up here feeling like I'm singing them solo, I love them. But it's like, that's not the only good song that God ever had Christians write was not just hymns. But there's people who do that. I mean, you would never see anything like up here. You're using a projector, you know, and it's like, it's just crazy what, what people will be like in churches thinking it's got to be the, the old religious rules to make God happy. But we can also be so, we can be like the Pharisees because we look down, we can look down on each other. We can look down on people who aren't here. We can say, you know what, uh, people, people don't give at this church like I give or at for missions like I, like I think we should be giving or people don't pray like I should be praying. People don't come to the parsonage and pray like I pray. People don't, uh, aren't involved with the, the ministries of this church like I am. I'm doing so much and then look at these other people who aren't doing anything. Those are all great things to do. But those are not going to make me any more worthy for Jesus than the person who doesn't, than the person who just barely walks through the door to hear a message. God cares about each person, and every person needs salvation just the same. There's nothing we do that betters ourselves in God's eyes over somebody else. So we have this big spectrum of people who get saved, or or people who hear the gospel, people who say, no thanks, I don't want any part of it, the person who hears and says, yeah, I'm going to accept it, and I'm just going to kind of focus on my life and make, make my life better. Or the person who just goes nuts telling other people about Jesus. Well, we can do the same thing with every message we hear from God's Word, whether you read it in the Bible yourself or whether you hear it from Dr. Dave, David Jeremiah or whether you hear it from me. You can be the person who says, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to give everything up and follow Jesus. I know it talks about loving my neighbors or my enemies, but I'm, I'm just not going to do that. Or you can be the, like the person who says, okay, I'll do it to some extent because I'm supposed to. Or you can be the radical person who says, nothing's going to stop me from following Jesus with, his, with the message that he shares. So when you hear the message of salvation, I hope you're this person. And I know it's hard to be that person, especially if you've been here your whole life. Coming out here and being the radical one that tells everybody about Jesus, that's, that's, some, that's, that's awesome to shoot for. But when you hear God's word, do the same thing. Don't just say, okay, I read it and look down at other people because they're not fulfilling what you think they should be doing. Say, hey, I don't care what everybody else is doing. I'm going to be this radical guy, and I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm going to live out God's word in my life. And I challenge you with the same message, I mean, with that message, but I'm also challenging myself because I know it's hard to get out here and be radical and live out my faith and be radical in living out what, God word, what his word says. But give up, give up this desire, this desire, the, uh, the idea of I'm going to protect myself and make myself look good and say, I'm going to set all that aside and I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what it costs, no matter where it leads, no matter what it means. So let that be our challenge for this week. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your word. God, I do thank you for this example of Matthew who just right off the bat, he said, okay, I don't know anything, but I know Jesus and I know these people need Jesus. And so he said, I'm going to bring people to Jesus. And I just pray that, God, we would have that same, the same guts and the same desire to do that, to bring people to Jesus. And even when it comes to giving up things that are more important in our life than you, I just pray that you'd help us to have the same kind of desire to just, if it takes setting it completely aside, or even if it, 
uh, I just pray that we would do that. But if, if we can have both, okay. But please help us just not to make those things more important than you. And I pray that we would have the desire to live out your word with the excitement that Matthew had to share it with his friends. And I just pray for your help to do that. And again, I thank you for everybody who's here. I pray that you bless them with the courage to do this and bless them with a good week. And I just thank you, God, that you were with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.